0: Thank you, Desmond. Good to be here again this morning, and thank you for your warm welcome as ever. I was uh, last here on a Sunday morning, (coughs) 12 months ago, in August last year, and uh, the passage I was given then was Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 10. Uh, Today it's Chapter 14, so you made a little progress since uh, 12 months ago. So we're going to read from Matthew Chapter 14 and the first 12 verses. (coughs) Matthew 14 verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that a request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Jesus. Just before we return to that, I'd just like to read a few verses in John's Gospel, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3, uh, verses 22 to 31. John, chapter 3, and verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John who was baptizing at Enon uh, near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Uh, and then, then down to verse 27. John replied, A man can receive only what, it is, what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him bride belongs to the Bridegroom. The friend who attends the Bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the Bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. (coughs) He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all." So back to John 14, I want to just uh, go through a few of the points in the reading, just so that we know exactly what it's saying, Uh, and then we're going to deal with a question. Uh, And uh, we'll get to that in a moment. So first of all, uh, this uh, Herod is the son of Herod the Great, the Herod that was uh, uh, in power when Jesus was born. This was his son. And he, under the Romans, he had certain authority in various parts of, uh, of, of Palestine. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he had a secret admiration for John, but uh, John was um, very upset at uh, Herod's uh, morality. And when he pinched his brother's wife and moved in with her, or moved her in with him, Rodius, John the Baptist told Herod what he thought of him in no uncertain terms Uh, and uh, that turned Herod against John. He'd baptised Jesus and very soon after that baptism, uh, John was imprisoned. It was almost a very, very small overlap between John's ministry and the Lord's ministry. And as John said in that reference we've just read, he'd uh, said to his own disciples, I'm not the Christ. Now I've got to decrease and Jesus has got to increase. I'm sure John didn't realize quite how significant that was but his decreasing was uh, ending up in prison. He was only in prison for a few months as far as we know and, um, and then this event happened. Now when we just look at this passage we see that Herod <coughs> was uh, still suffering from guilt What he's done with John. Uh, He was superstitious about it. Uh, And as soon as he heard about Jesus, he said, oh, well, this is John coming back to life again. And uh, he's got John's miraculous powers. Uh, He he was, uh, obviously, it was very much on his mind. Uh, He he was, uh, he'd still got feelings of guilt about what he'd done to John. Uh, And... uh, then his birthday comes round, and he has this party. Uh, the party probably in their culture would have been an all-male affair, which is quite significant. And the uh, the alcohol was flowing probably quite freely. And under a semi-drunken state, they have uh, Herodias's daughter in uh, to dance, and uh, gave the men so much pleasure that uh, in expansive mood, Herod says, oh, that's wonderful, you can have anything you want. Uh, and uh, the girl didn't really know what to ask for, so she went to her mother. And uh, Herodias then thought, this is revenge time. Uh, she obviously hated John the Baptist because he, he was criticizing her moving in with her brother-in-law. Uh, and uh, she said, right, you ask for the head of John the Baptist. Uh, I don't know whether you can ever imagine uh, what it must have been like for the girl to be presented with this having said that you can have anything you like and then this gruesome thing happens uh, and uh, she immediately takes it to her mother uh, but Herod found himself absolutely trapped he said he was distressed but and this is the point about all the men folk he got all these guys around him and he'd made this great um, promise to the girl you can have anything you like Uh, And he couldn't go back in front of all the men. So he had to go through with it. And uh, that's how John the Baptist met his end. That's the story. The question I want to ask and deal with this morning from this story, I'm gonna express in two different ways. First of all, why do bad things happen to good people? That's obvious. our first reaction from this story. You know, did John the Baptist really deserve this? Why did this happen to him? Uh, but I want to rephrase that question slightly differently before we deal with it. Why are we so shocked at this event? And we are. Uh, a, a month or two ago, uh, as um, uh, Margaret reminded me of, the, uh, of my appointment here, just to make sure i was still okay for it, and and told me what the passage was that's been allocated to this morning, she did very kindly say, do you really want to deal with this passage? <laughs> uh, and uh, is there anything that's going to be of use to us? And I just felt as I prayed about that, the Lord said yes. But when we hear of the beheading of John the Baptist, when we hear of the circumstances, the guilt, the superstition, the drunkenness, the partying, the... Uh, the craftiness of Herodias, the, 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 the terrible situation that that little girl found herself in. And when, when you think of all of that, <coughs> you know, we, we, we're shocked. Why did God allow this? Why was this, uh, why, why is this even recorded in Scripture? Uh, what, what does it mean for us? Why are we shocked at something like this happening? And I, I, I think that's, is something that is very deep for all of us. Uh, Why do these things happen to people that we don't think deserve it? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are we shocked when things like this happen? I want to make three points in answer. And the first one is this. John was not a guilty man. He wasn't beheaded, he wasn't imprisoned, because he'd done anything wrong. It was because he'd done something right. He told Herod the nature of his problem, of what he'd done, that he was uh, living in sin. It went right against the Levitical law, and Herod, being a Jew himself, would have known that. He had no business taking his brother's wife and moving in with her. And, uh, but John went through this terrible experience not because of his guilt, uh, and when we think of things that have happened to Christianity, to Christians, down through the years, we have to remember that we're not dealing with a judgment here. We're not dealing with people who, who have, have, have done violence and disobeyed the law. We're dealing with people who are totally innocent. Just think of those people in orange suits, those Christians in Syria, lined up and then shot by ISIS. When we think of uh, those burnt at the stake in our own country, in our own... Christian history when we think of those around the world who have been martyred for their faith and we ask the same question why do good things happen why do bad things happen to good people why 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 lord we're we're shocked at these things we've got to remember that they're not being persecuted being imprisoned and being martyred because they've done anything wrong at all that's probably one of the reasons why we are so shocked <coughs> If they'd been murderers themselves if they had uh, been adulterers or whatever we could understand it those christians taken from the villages in syria brutally martyred, martyred by isis in recent times they didn't deserve that we are shocked lord why in this world do you allow these things to happen why did you allow this to happen to john the baptist why Do we live in such an unfair, wretched situation in this world? But this is reality. It's estimated by some Christians that there are more martyrs now than there have ever been in any one generation in the history of the Christian church. And it introduces us again to this reality that we're living in a place and in a time of spiritual warfare. It's not that we're being punished for things we've done wrong, but we're living in an age, in a situation, in a dispensation, where we're fighting against a terrible enemy. And uh, this is um, what I really want to get to this morning, because I think, and this will be my third point in a moment, but just to show you where we're going, it seems to me we've been lulled into a sense of false security. And I'll deal with why I think that's happening in a minute. But these people are martyred. John was martyred. Many others right down through history have been martyred not because they deserved it, not because they'd done anything wrong, not because they were criminals, but simply because they were Christians. And that's what's going on today. Because we're in that place where there is a huge enemy and his attacks are going on. And each one of us are subject to spiritual warfare and to the attacks of the enemy. The second point that I want to make is this. Our sense of what is bad, I don't mean morally bad, I mean bad circumstances, our sense of what is bad is not necessarily God's view. It's not necessarily God's view of what we think is a disaster. We just remembered the Lord. And I'm sure if we were here, uh, if we were to have um, had here any of those people that have followed Jesus and saw the way in which the inevitability of Calvary loomed ever larger in their uh, journey, they would have uh, said it was one of the worst times of their lives. Peter was so upset that he even denied that he knew the Lord under the pressure that he felt he was coming up to Calvary. Bad things certainly happening there. But we've, 2,000 years later, and Desmond was saying how many times he's remembered the Lord possibly. Yes, we think those that were there thought for Jesus to have been crucified. <clears throat> terrible, terrible thing. But in God's view, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as I believe Desmond was putting across to us, a bad thing for the Lord, a terrible thing for those that followed him. But aren't we grateful that this was part of God's plan? That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And the, <clears throat> the, 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 the sad thing is in this world that's under the curse of of, of, of Satan's rule and, and original sin and, and, and disobedience and rebellion and the exercise of human free will that says we don't want this man to reign over us, talking about God and his Christ. In the midst of all of that, God is still at work and often has to use what we may think are bad circumstances in order to bring about greater blessings. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And as far as John was concerned, his work was done. He he, he said, "Ah, here's Jesus, I wasn't the Christ, now he's here, Uh, I've now got a decrease and he's got an increase. Within a few short weeks he was imprisoned and in a few months he met his end. We've all got to die somewhere, sometime or other. We may think that's a pretty violent death, but then people did have very violent deaths in those days. And I want you to think of this. Uh, It's not very pleasant, but death for John came very, very quickly. The man would have come down the steps into the dungeon, and he would have said, this is it. Within minutes, it was finished. And he was with... His Lord, not Jesus, but with God. <laughs> wasn't a long lingering uh, years in prison in those terrible dungeons of those days. He wasn't uh, going through all sorts of, um, uh, of, of visits and torture and all the rest of the things. In, in a sense, the Lord w- was kind. Death came quickly. Suddenly, he didn't even have time to think about it. It was over and done with. You see, John did have some real problems when he was first put into prison. We may think of John the Baptist as a very, very strong character, and he was. (laughs) When he was preaching in the wilderness, he didn't mind who he was talking to. He gave it to them straight. But as he was put in prison, we read in Matthew 11 verse 1, John heard in verse two. Verse, uh, John heard in prison what Christ was doing. He sent his disciples to ask him, "Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else?" And Jesus replied, "Go back and report to John what you see and hear." In other words, as suddenly he was found himself in prison, yes, the question started forming in his mind, uh, if Jesus really is the Christ, if, if he's really the one that I've been preaching about, As a forerunner, if he really is the Christ, why is he leaving me here in prison? Why am I languishing here? Why doesn't he come and get me out if he's the Christ, if he's the Messiah? Why doesn't he do something about my situation? So even John the Baptist, as strong a character as he was, was already beginning to get his doubts. The Lord didn't leave him very long with his doubts. And he was saying, I'm going to bring you home. bring you you back to glory. The way may be brutal and short, but that was life as it was lived then. And uh, ultimately, the the whole reason why we're here is because we're being prepared for another dimension altogether. We're being prepared to be with God, to be with the Lord. And uh, for John, it it was uh, the end of his doubts. In Psalm 116, uh, let me just read this uh, verse to you. You'll know it very well, I'm sure. Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Again, that comes as a little bit of a shock. (laughs) Because we hold on to our lives so well. But for God, it's all about being in eternity with him. It's all about being prepared in this life for what we're going to be for the whole of eternity. And for each one of us, unless we're alive when Jesus returns in the air, the rapture, for each one of us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're here just to be prepared for that moment when faith gives way to reality and him whom we now love heart to heart we will see face to face. We're just in the antechamber. We're in the preparation room. We're being made ready. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I, I, this, it's not something that is easy to understand, but it's here in the scriptures and it's the reality of our faith. My mother died when she was 58. I was only in my early 20s. And uh, <clears throat> she did an awful lot of work for the Lord. We ran a Sunday school. She, she and Dad ran a Sunday school in our own home. At that time, we lived on a council estate. And uh, she had a tremendous amount of work going on and then was diagnosed uh, with cancer, and she lived for two years. And everyone was What why, why did the Lord take the best people? Why did, why, why did these things happen? And yet, looking back now, 40-odd years later, I can look back and you can see, yeah, mum's work was done. It was, uh, she was ready. The Lord called her home. And for the rest of us in in the family, my father, my sister, and myself, we moved on to whatever God wanted us to do. Mum had gone to her reward. She'd gone to her rest. Yes, it was, in one sense, a human sense, it was sad. It was a tragedy. She was only young. Other people who were not Christians couldn't understand. But for us, she was with the Lord. She'd gone to a place of rest, a place of reward. And uh, that's really what we're all looking for. And we're all uh, we're waiting for. Paul said this to the Thessalonians. He said, We're not like people who have no hope. We're people of hope. We're people who know that we're being prepared for eternity. And, and it's that reality, it's that truth that we find very hard to sort of get our heads around, which is why we ask the questions, you know, why, 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 why do these things happen? Why are we so shocked? Because we almost feel that this life is the only thing that matters. Somebody once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You look back now, with the freedoms we have, We've already prayed and thanked God for the freedom we've had to meet today. How do we have this freedom when so many countries around the world either don't have the gospel or they don't have the freedom to enjoy the gospel? It's because of the sacrifice that was made by so many wonderful Christians in our own country over the past that we have the freedom to meet the knowledge of the truth of the word, the word of God in our own language. These people, work has been done. Grandma and uh, and Latimer, no, Ridley and Latimer, being put there on the stake in Oxford. And Latimer said, Master Ridley, today we are lighting a light that will burn brightly throughout the whole of England as they suddenly were engulfed by the flames. And uh, yet, martyrs, people that have laid down their lives for the Lord to go to be with the Lord. <laughs> and They are the ones that have blazed a trail. John the Baptist prepared the way. His work was done. Um, the third point and the final point is this. There is a problem I think that we see this particular age, the church age, as being all there is. Uh, <laughs> It, it 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 isn't all that is. We're, we're subject to a a teaching today that's been very prevalent in the church. It's either kingdom now or health and prosperity teaching. That everything that is going to be glorious should happen here and now. Uh, that this is the the day when uh, the church is going to take over the world and we're going to uh, you know we shouldn't have any uh, setbacks. We shouldn't have any problems. We're going to uh, really uh, see the church victorious and so on and so forth. It's, uh, it, it's, it's called kingdom uh, theology and so on and so forth. Very, very many different shades of that teaching. Uh, and and it, it seems to have come into our thinking, you know, if anything goes wrong, it shouldn't happen. Where's my faith? Where's God in this? And it shouldn't be allowed to happen. And yet, this world has always been this age, this church era that started on that day of Pentecost. Has never been any different. I've got a cutting here. I want to read you. Cyprian was um, lived in the third century. He was born in the year 2010, in North Africa, in Carthage, part of the Roman Empire at the time. He was born into um, a wealthy family, a well-to-do family, not a Christian family, and uh, he became a Christian in about 246, he was in his thirties. And uh, a little after that, about three years later, he was made Bishop of Carthage, and he was martyred for his faith in the year 258. He's wrote a letter to one of his uh, friends, called Donatus, uh, explaining what had happened to him. And these were people from well-to-do families in Carthage at that time, the beginning of the 3rd century. He He wrote, This seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climbed to some great mountain and looked out over the whole lands, over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see, brigands on the high roads, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds. Under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It is really a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. Yet, in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any, ple- any pleasure of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are the Christians, and I am now one of them. Well, that was 1,700 years ago, 1,800 years ago. Things haven't changed much. That's the reality of the world in which we live. We're very, very grateful for the blessings we've got, medicine, science, transports, the various ways in which our lives are so much better than past lives. But, as the old Negro spiritual says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And we're being prepared for what comes afterwards, the wonderful reign of Jesus Christ. When he's going to come back and for a thousand years, he's going to bring about a glorious era on earth, which will be quite different to what it is now. And after that, we're going to have the eternal realms when we will be with the Lord forever. But in this age, in this realm, in this dispensation, in the church age, Satan hasn't yet been locked up. We're in the battlefield. We're here not to be comfortable. We're here not to see this life as an end in itself, but to realize we're here to serve the Lord, to do the job he's given us to do, like John did, like John had. We're here to be prepared in the way the Holy Spirit is taking our lives and gradually changing us. This is not the kingdom age. We're not in the age where things are going to get better and better and suddenly we're going to find no problems. We do have problems, life seems very unfair. Christians suffer the same as everyone else. The rain falls on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. And these things happen. Bad things do happen to all of us. But for the Christian, for those who know the Lord, we we know and we see that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. There is a sense in which under this false teaching that we've had in the recent years, under the ethos of the world outside, always looking <coughs> for, uh, for, for, for utopia, there is a tendency within the church to feel that God should never let us down, as we would think. He doesn't let us down, but as we perceive it. That we shouldn't have any problems, any difficulties, any setbacks. The, the Lord is saying, uh, sometimes through the uh, discipline Of circumstances and the way that I teach you I'm refining you I'm changing you John said it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is we sing the little chorus sometimes Jesus you are changing me because we're being prepared for an eternal home for a place with the Lord yes things sometimes do seem grim but our hands are in his hands and we've overcome the world and we know that all things are working together to prepare us for that moment when we see the Lord. And I believe that this story of John the Baptist beheading his sad death is just a warning to us all that we're looking for another home, a brighter future in heaven itself and with the Lord and all that's gonna happen after we're there and we're going to be with the Lord forever. Not that we are necessarily living with a martyr spirit, saying, oh, Lord, (laughs) you better let bad things happen to me then if that's going to be the best thing. No, 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 no. Walking humbly and quietly with our God, day by day. But when these things happen, when we sense the reality of the enemy, when we go through the areas of problem, we say, Lord, what are you teaching me? What are you doing with my life? How can I respond? How, Lord, can I take on board the circumstances you're passing me through? So that I might be closer to you, a better Christian, more capable in your service, bringing more glory to your name. And with John, we all say, Lord, you must increase, we must decrease. Lord, thank you for the life you give me. But I'm waiting, i just longing for that time when I shall be with you forevermore. And that is what it's really all about. The Lord bless you. Amen. Our final hymn is uh